1: Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy bee But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com
0: slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15.
1: Your iTunes reviews help Pantsuit Politics move up the rankings, which spreads our love of nuance far and wide. Plus, being called the Oprah's of nuance made my life. So please take a few minutes and leave a review by searching Pantsuit Politics in the podcast app and
0: clicking the reviews tab. This week was, by 2017 standards, a little calmer. So we're taking a breath and diving into some of your feedback on this episode of The Briefcase. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pansu Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. And we're back. We are back. We're digesting some of what's happened this week, which... Has been a lot, but like nothing compared to the first couple weeks of the year. Well, I think because there's a lot, but it doesn't seem as earth-shattering, which is helpful. I think that's mostly true. I do think there are people who have had an earth-shattering week in some ways. That's true. That's probably always going to be true. But on the whole, at least we haven't seen... I don't even know what to say, honestly. I think I'm just trying to make myself feel better. Are we just getting numb? Is that what it is? No, H.R. McMaster makes
1: me feel better. It, that is a great choice. So he seems like an intellectual. So wait, well, let's let's back up. Donald Trump has nominated eight Is he a he's a general, right? No. It's further down. He's he's got a lower ranking. Lieutenant General,
0: I think. Is that right? Listen, I'm
1: not good at those things, okay? I'm just gonna put my lack of the ranking system and all that. It's not it's not my wheelhouse, okay? But he is from all accounts an intellectual and a strategist and a very smart, careful thinker. And let's just let's be real. We could use some more smart, careful thinkers in the Trump White House as far as I'm concerned.
0: Also, also fiercely independent by all accounts, like someone who is not at all a yes man and who requires his position to have lots of autonomy.
1: Well, and so it's I, I, I don't know how that's going to go. Like, I don't it, it doesn't sound like this dude is going to suffer fools and particularly fools of the Steve Bannon flavor. So it, it from what I'm reading, it's unclear whether he'll remain on the National Security Council. Right. Is Have you
0: read the same thing? I have. It's interesting. I mean, I'm I'm willing to watch this play out, right? Because I think there is so much hope in having someone who's a true professional like this in that post. So hopefully good things will come of H.R. McMaster.
1: Well, and what I think is really interesting is as he's come on and we're hearing reports that he's independent and he's really sort of um trying to make his way. Simultaneously, t- today, we're recording on Thursday, there's been all these reports that um secretary of state oh my gosh i blanked on his name rex tillerson thank you it's like a it's sort of a movie name i think movie villain name anyway um he is being shut off pushed out very um not being allowed to pick his own deputy not being allowed to do public appearances in the past the 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 state department has taken this sort of primary role with regards to foreign policy doesn't look to be
0: that it's going to maintain that way i'm wondering how long rex tillerson's going to hang for that he doesn't strike me as someone who just wants to be trotted out for the occasional appearance
1: but it's like you know that this is the problem though when you pick someone without experience in the oh i don't know government But specifically the secretary or the State Department, like he doesn't know what levers to pull. He doesn't understand how to he doesn't understand the organization well enough to know how to position himself or maneuver within um, these new Trump guidelines. I feel like somebody better versed in the department itself would have more options.
0: I don't know. I think it's hard to know what the source of this seeming isolation is. I just wonder if he might also be relatively independent and uh, that it's not sitting well with some of the people closest to Donald Trump. You hate to even speculate, right? Because who knows? I do think that in the few public appearances he's made, Rex Tillerson has seemed fairly well-informed, fairly level-headed. So I, I hope that he is ultimately a force for good in this administration, but he just doesn't seem like much of a force at all right now. Um, Speaking of
1: well-reasoned and uh, well-informed, those town halls are going swimmingly, huh?
0: I have been thinking a lot about this because Jane has walked into my bedroom in the mornings when I've had the news on and there's all this crazy footage from town halls. And I've been trying to find a way to say to her, civic engagement, good, yelling at each other, bad, right? (laughs) There's there's a way to do this. Uh...
1: Well, I was watching the video this morning from Senator Tom Cotton's town hall in Arkansas, and it was really interesting because I was listening to the Vox podcast, The Weeds. Um, Sarah Cliff went brought came to our beloved home state of Kentucky and did some reporting on Obamacare. And Kentucky is interesting because the traditional knowledge has been you give benefits, they become entrenched, and they become popular, and they're very hard to touch particularly in Kentucky which absolutely benefited the most from Obamacare. And you have sort of the opposite thing happening. Didn't make Obama popular, our Democratic governor who instituted this change lost with uh, to the to a Republican governor who promised to take these benefits away. Kentucky went overwhelmingly for Trump, but she would interview these people and they would say, "Well, he doesn't mean it. He's not going to actually take it away." And it's not perfect anyway, so maybe he'll fix it because our costs uh, are so high and the cost of health care is still so high and all these problems haven't been fixed. Particularly, I think the idea was that um, with Medicare expansion, wait, is it Medicare or Medicaid expansion? I always get the two confused. I think it's Medicaid, but I'm not positive. Well, the, we'll just call it the expansion. With the expansion, I think they, that wrote that into law thinking that would be sort of the less good option. And what's turned out is that people are much happier with the um, the coverage under the expansion and to the point where she was interviewing people who were like, I, I didn't want to take a raise because then I wouldn't, then I would not qualify for the expanded coverage and I'd have to go to the marketplace and it would cost me much more, which is a, the exact opposite of what particularly the Republican Party says it wants people not being motivated to work, but they were the ones who pushed for this and pushed for the marketplace Um because they thought it would be better. But really what we're finding in rural states like Kentucky is there's just not enough competition, even really beyond rural states, to make the marketplace really um, produce those lower prices that we were hoping to see. But anyway, so you have these people who um, love their Obamacare but hate Obama and Democrats and voted for Donald Trump saying he was promising to take it away. But, I mean, I think what you're seeing at these town halls – you know, to go around to get to where I started is, you know, I think there, I think you are going to see a dramatic shift from the Republican Party on this, because these are red states with people livid that you might take their health insurance coverage away. And hey,
0: for good reason. I think people are partially so livid because it's becoming so abundantly clear that there is no plan. Mm.
1: I don't I think, think people are plant mad. But I don't think people are mad because there's no plan. They're mad because you're going to take their plan away. I mean, I guess you do hear people saying, "If you can think something better, that's fine." What are you going to do? But man, that woman in Arkansas, where she was like, "What coverage do you have?" and the whole place erupted. What I think so interesting is there's so you know for people who focus on politics, there's so many things that are sort of controversial about the Trump presidencies. But these town halls seem to be focused on Obamacare.
0: Well, it's the most personal thing to any of us. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think I think I think it is that there's no plan, because if you're hearing they're just going to repeal this and then what that is scary. I mean, that's 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 really scary. Here's the thing. I don't know why anybody ever thought that that the Affordable Care Act was going to bring prices down because it has nothing to do with the cost of health care. It's just making sure more people are insured, and that's a good thing.
1: Well, I disagree, but, though. There's all kinds of long-term um, requirements and proposals that do, you know, the idea that you are going to reward daughter, doctors for preventive care and pay for preventive care, and I think that is there are measures within Obamacare that are attempting to, to bribe down the cost of health care. The problem is that that's a big ask, and it's going to take a while, and I think people
0: wanted immediate results, which was unrealistic. It's a really long play. It depends on compliance by everybody, right? You have to go take advantage of those wellness visits. And some of those wellness incentives are a mixed bag, right? Because then you get people getting unnecessary care on the preventive side because it's In their minds, free, even though it's not free, right? So it's not that I disagree wholesale with the Affordable Care Act. We've talked about this before. I think saying that you're just against ACA is like saying you're against the woods. Like there's so (laughs) much in it. There are some good ideas in there. I like the exchanges, I think that's a good approach. I just also think that we still haven't done anything about the price of actual pharmaceuticals and healthcare services and healthcare equipment. And until we do that, our insurance is going to keep getting more and more expensive. So anything that the Republicans do, in my view, that doesn't address the, the rising cost of healthcare, is still a failure.
1: And I don't understand. You know, I don't think the idea that we're just going to give people subsidies or let them use their HSA. I mean, the people at these town halls that are livid don't have money to put in an HSA. Come on, guys. They don't have that money. So, most of the proposals coming out of the Republican Party including from Rand Paul are going to help the upper middle class and the up, you know, upper income people. There's no there's no addressing the people that are I think for the most part at these town halls, you know, low income people
0: who did not have health insurance and do now and don't want to see it go anywhere. The situation with the Affordable Care Act is this in my view. What Democrats did was take a step towards single-payer knowingly. The system that has been set up under the Affordable Care Act is wholly unsustainable as an economic proposition, unless you use it as the first building block on a path towards single-payer. I mean, I don't have any problem with single-payer. I think your employer being
1: in charge of your health care and then able to have a stake in healthcare decisions like your reproduction is bananas and we should stop doing that. But that's just me.
0: Well, so then my fear about single payer is then now we're going to have like the whole country fighting about your reproductive rights and that's going to make it even worse. But putting that aside, putting aside whether single payer is good or bad. That's what ACA is, right? It's the first step on that road. And Republicans are in the horrendous position now of taking away something that's been given in order to try to fix it and make it economically sustainable if they don't want to go down the single-payer path. So politically, this thing boxes Republicans into a corner that I don't know how they get out of unless they're all willing to not go back to Congress. (laughs) I think that might be happening no matter what. I mean, I'm
1: sorry. I know it makes me a bad person and it's not particularly nuanced, but I've got some real shouting for it right now because I mean, you had Democratic Congress people being they were getting spit on in town halls when Obamacare was getting passed. And so, you know, it's just Maybe I won't be I'm not celebratory, but I do think this proves Harry Inton's point after the 2000 after the election last year, which is all politics cyclical. And anybody who was cackling with glee as Democrats got pounded in town halls with the passage of Obamacare is now eating their words with Republicans getting pounded in town halls. But the at the idea of taking away Obamacare and I don't you know, they're not total. The town hall, the whole focus of town halls is not Obamacare, but I am sort of surprised as how that is a sustained focus and sustained thing people keep bringing up.
0: And it is hard to know how much of it, you know, that's certainly the volume of the coverage. What's really going on? I don't know. I think that every morning as I see people yelling on television, like, well, this is the interesting highlight that made the media coverage. What else are people out there saying in a, a less dramatic way you know well, that we're not we've had pe- we've had read or re- listeners
1: email us and say like hey this was the town this was the coverage of the town hall but I was there our, or our friends of mine were there and that's not what it was like and um a, a regular listener of the show, Leslie, was talk, uh, Was sharing that her representative, like a little girl, was putting a valentine under the door. And the secretary opened the door and the little girl knocked down and the secretary fell. And they like put out a press release like the secretary was being attacked and there was video and that's clearly not what was going to happen. I mean, it sounds like one big central theme of these uh, across the town hall is you will listen to us. Like we will not be ignored. And, you know, postponing the town halls or not ans- having people you know, for the first month of the Trump administration ring through to busy
0: lines and full voicemails wasn't helping the situation any. I really appreciated talking about Tom Cotton the way that he said, I don't care if you're a paid protester or, you know, if you're out of district or whatever, like your voices are important, you're Americans, you're Arkansans. I thought that was the way that Republicans should handle this. Did you like when Mitch McConnell
1: told people that the winners make policies and the losers go home?
0: You know, I'm just not going to say anything about Mitch right now because I don't have anything <laughs> kind to say. Oh, I mean, we,
1: uh,
0: sometimes I think he's sly la- like a fox. And sometimes
1: I think that he's just a mean person. <laughs> sometimes he face things and I'm like,
0: how did you think that was going to land, friend? Like, I don't know. He's had power too long. Mm. That's what that is. He's been there too long.
1: Yeah. Wasn't well, that the truth?
0: Awaken so. someone in Kentucky to rise up and challenge Mitch McConnell, please. Oh, That's what please. we need. Anybody.
1: So um, we do have a correction to make to our FEC coverage.
0: Yes, we talked about how the FEC is three Democrats, three Republicans, one Democrat stepping down. And I think that we made it sound as though. President Trump could appoint a Republican in that seat. He could not. It has to be a Democrat. The issue is what are that, what are the values of that person, and is it a person that Senate Democrats would be comfortable with, or would he just kind of go off on his own and find someone who's more in line with his position? But the FEC does have to be um, balanced from a party perspective. Summer is here. Pack your bag
1: with sunscreen. Your emotional support water bottle and that steamy beetroot, but wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups, and there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com
0: slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped and I closed my eyes and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked me through these issues and I sort of channeled his energy and put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now. And there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot slash pantsuit.
1: The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops premium luggage options and so much more all quince items are priced 50 to 80 percent less than their similar brands by partnering directly with top factories quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us and quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes i got big plans for my quince chiffon pleated skirt in japan they like a loose flowy look over there to battle the heat i will be adopting that strategy with that skirt pack your bags with high quality essentials from quince go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns that's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash pantsuit So we also had um, President Trump remove the executive guidance under the um, Department of Education, I believe. Was it under the Department of Justice or the Department of Education that these guidelines came out? Maybe it was the Department of Justice. I don't remember. With regards to um, students and schools under Title IX being allowed to use the uh, bathroom of their gender identity thoughts on that?
0: Well, first, it might be worth saying that we are recording this very, very late at night. So if you are hearing greater than usual, I can't remember. That is why. <laughs> um, <laughs> on On the bathroom issue, here's what I want to say, I think. No one believes more passionately than I do that people should all go to the bathroom where they want to and be safe in doing so. So I, I am fully on board with that concept, I don't. I don't want to judge where anybody uses the bathroom. Personal choice, you do you. I cannot believe that we need laws to tell us that that's okay, or that anyone wants to make laws to say that it's not okay. I, I just feel like we've lost our minds about bathrooms. When President Obama decided that schools had to deal with this issue in a certain way, I knew that this was going to be trouble. Right and said so at the time on our podcast. And this again is why doing these types of things by executive order does not work because they get undone quickly. And so my statement on this is batter up Congress. What are you going to do in terms of protection of transgender rights? Only through Congress can this problem get solved and be put away permanently.
1: Well, I disagree that only through Congress can this problem get solved because somebody most certainly will sue and ask for an interpretation from the courts about Title IX. And that's my biggest beef with this idea of, like, well, we should just let states decide. If we let states decide, we would still have, you know, all-boy schools. Virginia sued to protect the Virginia Military Institute's right to exclude women from admissions. And all kinds of states across the country defended education Um, institutions rights to discriminate or to um, follow less strict standards with regards to sexual harassment. So I know that sounds really nice to just let states decide. But the truth is states defend a lot of the time, much less than strict interpretations with regard to gender discrimination under Title IX. I personally think feel if I was a judge, if I was in charge, or I had a magic wand. Anybody want to give me a magic wand? That'd be great. That, of course, Title Nine. If Title Nine just protects sex, then it protects sex identity. I mean, I don't understand how you could interpret that differently but I mean I do I guess but it bugs me and so the idea that we'll just let the states decide I mean that's fine we don't have to do it by executive order but it most certainly will be decided by the, for the courts because if you think Congress is going to tee up for this one then when they can't get big stuff done heesh.
0: the worst thing about it happening through the courts and I don't disagree with any of the analysis that you just walked through if it gets done that way then I think we're going to have another Roe versus Wade situation where states are going to try to chip away at it and it, and the public is going to be resentful of it. I mean, can we not just agree as a society that we are finished discriminating against people on this basis? I feel like culturally we're kind of there. It's just a small minority of people who keep hammering away at this stuff. And again, I hate that we have to have laws telling us to just treat each other as human beings. I really do. But if we well, do, think- let's get on with it. Let's make those laws and move on. But I don't want to let the executive branch have control over who goes to the bathroom where and what kind of protection they receive in their schools. I mean, this is children. It's just it makes me very mad that this is where we are.
1: Well, I think, you know, I just read This Is How It Always Is, which is an amazing book about a transgender child. Spoiler alert. They kind of try to keep it a secret. That's what the book's about. Okay, you find out pretty quickly. Um. It's a really, really well-done book, and the author's child also is transgendered, and she writes this um, amazing sort of author's note, and she says at the end, like, I know that this book will be controversial, but I can't for the life of me remember why. And she has this really great sentence where she talks about—I'm going to pull it up so I don't um, screw it up. So she says, wider ranges of normal make the world a better place for everyone and i think that's really great and i think that as our culture expands to a wider range of normal it has to be from a first person um experience like i think you saw the advancement of lgbt lgb i'll just i'll leave it to lgb right now rights because people came out of the closet and people had to accept that um people in their own family were gay and to think how they dealt with that. And I think with transgender, it's a smaller group of people, but I think um, what you're going to see more and more is children like that little boy who went to Cub Scouts when the Cub Scouts started allowing transgender kid. Like who wants to look at that kid and be a jerk? I mean, I know people will, but I think that because particularly as children grow up transgendered and are more comfortable and you have parents supporting their children, um, changing gender identity or sex identity, then that will, I'm confusing the words right now, and I don't know a listener is going to email us about that, but I just think that that will sort of push it further faster. But, and I think, I hope it wouldn't be another Roe v. Wade situation because you would know somebody, right? You're not going to be, I think, I know that there are people that are still have problems with gay rights, But I think the reason you hear all this religious freedom is they know that it's not okay to be against gay rights anymore, that our culture has shifted because so many people know and love gay people and really just don't want to stand for it anymore and changing generational ideas. And I think that will happen with transgender. And I think the reason it's different than Roe v. Wade is for better or for worse. And I hope this eventually changes since it's, you know depending on the statistics you look at, about one in three women by the age of 40 have had an abortion. But women don't share that. And I think you would see a change in the sort of the culture wars regarding abortion if more women um, said, hey, look, that happened to me. I had an abortion. You know me. You love me. You know I have I have kids now, and I love them, but I just couldn't do it then, and I'm not a bad person. I, I think about that speech from Raw where she said, It's not bad girls have abortions and good girls have family. It's all the same girl, just different points in her life. And I I mean, I just think when our culture, when those people, people with different experiences come out of the shadow and we have that wider range of normal, that's where things really start to shift. And sometimes the laws are in front of that and sometimes the laws are behind that. But the idea that like laws are going to solve that is probably not great, but we have to They have to be involved at some point. They have to be there to protect people until the culture catches up or to push the culture a little bit further. And I think that with transgendered rights in particular, you're going to see that. I mean, we've already seen it faster than I would argue even gay
0: rights happened. My broader point is that we are better off when we do these things through the legislative process than the judicial process. Mm -hmm. And I hope that this happening and what I hope will be the public outcry about it will push Congress to act on this point.
1: Oh, you're so optimistic about Congress these days. I don't know why, but
0: I'm not really optimistic, but I'm just becoming more determined that we're not, you know, if, if Congress were full of women, everybody would be saying things like, we don't send you up there to just look pretty. And that's kind of (laughs) what I feel right now. Like get something done. You know what? Where A lot of the problems that we have right now are because Congress has been sitting around for the last 10 years or so really playing games that only benefit the people who are there. And I say this against the backdrop of our numerous discussions about how we have to have more grace for politicians. And I want to have that. But I also need this body to get busy and not leave us at the hands of any executive the way that they have over the past Two presidents. Well, speaking of getting busy, do we have time for a little bit of feedback? I think that we do. Um, So, the first thing we, we received a message from Elizabeth about our episode on Tuesday where I explained. Part of the reason that I'm conservative is because I don't like elevating people's positions over each other. So to me, when the collective we kind of has to make a decision, we're in this position of deciding whose opinion matters more than someone else's opinion. And Elizabeth says, isn't that a cop out? If you don't have a collective we deciding things, how or why do we have a government? Are there not a time when facts and data that say we should do X unless we do X? Yeah, there there is. I mean, that's why I'm a conservative, not a libertarian. I don't look at this as a blanket proposition, more as a guiding principle. So to me, when we can leave decisions in the hands of individuals and then communities and then states. Right. And, you know, the federal government, to me, that that idea of the big, broad collective we that has such a diversity of needs and interests. Um, that should be our last resort. Now, there are times when that last resort is appropriate, lots of times. It's just that I start from the place of how do we keep decisions localized because at a very fundamental level, I think that people should have as much control over their own lives as possible. You know, though, it's almost like we can't get to that, to the –
1: leaving the decisions anywhere because we really don't give anybody the benefit of the doubt or grace when it comes to decisions from the top down. We don't assume good intentions with the federal government, with the state government, with the local government or with other individuals like nobody's assuming good intentions right now. I was reading this really great thing about how Donald Trump, you know, Democrats want to get mad at the top percent. But what Donald Trump tapped is like the The people right above the poverty line who are just pissed that they're barely getting through. But the people they see these people daily below them that are, quote unquote, getting handouts. It's like, you know, we don't give that from the tiniest to the biggest with regards to other people's decision makings. It seems like as a culture, we're in a space right now where nobody gets the benefit of the doubt or any sort of assumption of good intention.
0: I think we also don't take any responsibility for anything I think we act culturally as though everything is happening to us. And I mean that in terms of those of us who are very privileged. So I, I understand there are people who things do happen to them, right? And then a lot of things are outside of their control. But well, the privilege are is not con-
1: about things happening to you. It's about how quickly you can get back up, right? You and I can get two, three, four, five, six, eight chances. But somebody that doesn't gets like, a half of a chance,
0: <laughs> exactly. Just so for something I'm, bad to happen to them, I'm articulating that just to say, please don't send me emails lecturing me on privilege because I I got it. I think I'm always open to learning more, but like my point is. I think a lot of us, especially those of us who are very politically engaged, still have such a fatalistic view about things. I think about all the attention on Steve Bannon today because he spoke at CPAC and how, you know, Steve Bannon like dominated, you know, my Twitter feed for a while today and some of the headlines this evening. You know what? I am not going to treat Steve Bannon like he is some. Enigmatic intellectual worthy of our fascination. Like, this guy is a jerk and a bully and doesn't belong anywhere in the White House, and I'm done thinking about him. You know, I'm not going to talk about him. I'm not going to write about him. I'm not going to read about him. I don't want Steve Bannon on my radar. And Only to the extent that he's influencing policy does he have to be. But I think that we all like think, oh, my God, we've got to panic about Steve Bannon 24 hours a day when doing that just gives him more power. Right. And we can take that power from him. And so I think related to your point about not giving each other grace, we also don't give ourselves much credit. The town halls are a good indicator of how much power we have as citizens. I don't think Tom Cotton like woke up today thinking about the world exactly the same way as he did yesterday. Now, does that mean he's going to change everything about his legislative agenda? No, but people are having an impact, and I think we've got to internalize that more and use it as inspiration. Well, and i was been thinking a lot about sort of I read
1: the Undoing Project, which is about behavioral economics. I've been listening, catching up on sort of a backlog of human brain, which is all about the social sciences and how we're influenced and how we're irrational. And I thought, man, I can't let go of the fact that I want people to make rational decisions about politics and voting. And I need to let go of the fact that that I think or I want people to make rational decisions. You know, what's the matter with Kansas? Well, what's the matter with Kansas is what's the matter with every single one of us, which is we don't make rational decisions about anything. We're human beings, we're irrational creatures, we're animals. And I, to say that I, and that's not to be fatalistic because I, I don't think that means it's all chaos and all is lost, but I do think there is sort of a power and a an ability to see things from a fresh angle when you just stop fighting. It's like a, you know, there's this thing, uh, the guy that designed your life guy, he says it's a gravity problem, which is it's not a problem. It's just the reality. Right. Stop fighting reality. Stop thinking that, you know, the politics of Republicans versus Democrat or a hyper polarized age is going to just get sorted out with the right facts like no or people make irrational choices in everything, including politics and If you can accept that and then start thinking about what those choices are built on and what behaviors and what influences them and what emotions, then all of a sudden you have some tools to work with, as opposed to just banging your head against the wall and thinking, I'll just reason people into this. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds earth breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin so it's good for sensitive skin it reduces plastic waste all of these things are true and amazing but let's get to the heart of it y'all know i have a laundry system you know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry earth breeze sheets feels like they were invented for this because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big heavy jugs or maybe you worry about the pods but here we go here we go y'all Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh, God, I love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off Earth Breeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. Earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit.
0: It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. It starts with us too, right? So our listener Lisa said on Twitter in response to our last episode, do we all love our team jerseys so much? that we're going to have to have conflict to get past this part, this partisanship. And my response was kind of, it depends on what we prioritize. So uh, to your point, Sarah, that we're animals. Yeah. As animals, we are, um, we tend to stay still, right? Like biologically, we're programmed to look to be warm and comfortable and not moving around a lot. That's what we perceive as safety, So we have to, like, consciously decide to make changes in the way we engage with each other. And all of those decisions are going to be against sort of our animal brain's nature. But I think that we're capable of that. Like, I think we're capable of all saying, gosh... Having a community around us and having relationships with other people is ultimately more important to me than feeling vindicated in every vote I've ever made.
1: Well, and that's so interesting you say that because, again, I was listening to Vox today and Matt Iglesias. They were talking about these Kentucky voters and these decisions. And he said, you know, we want to say that this is an irrational voting decision, but really, is it irrational? Is it irrational? To just agree with everyone you live around, to not get in an act out and drag out with your family and friends in a state where your vote is not gonna make a difference because you know Hillary Clinton's gonna keep your health insurance? Or is it more rational to just say, I'm gonna agree with all the people I live around in a state that she's not gonna win anyway and vote for Donald Trump? Right? You know what I mean? Like, there, it, it depends on how you define rationality as well, right? If you, and I think the problem isn't that we, you know, such a big problem it's not that we don't engage with those around us it's that those around us all agree or at least we all think we do um and we're sort of self-sorting and so that we don't get this this chance to you know push ourselves or sort of the the stakes at which we are making these emotional and rational slash irrational decisions um They don't really change. And so we don't get to push ourselves in new directions. We don't have people saying in our neighborhoods, hey, I love you. I mean, I do because I live in a conservative state and I'm a liberal. But uh, I think that's such a powerful thing to sort of to to come up against those those weighing competing interests of the relationship, of your personal interest and and also to rest to recognize, like you said, like, you know, I'm making emotional political decisions, too. We all think that we are so, you know, rational and making these really just logical decisions based on our interests. But that's not really true. None of us are.
0: Well, and I think what that effect produces, that sense of community, it, it produces like two distinct cohorts. So it's the people who go along with it because that makes sense to them. And then the people who totally rebel against it. It makes me think in Kentucky about people who make a big production of being Duke basketball fans just to be difficult because everyone else, you know, swears allegiance against Duke forever. So you get people, depending on your location, right, you have sort of the prevailing thought of the cohort, and then the people who are totally rejecting it. And where's the middle? And that's what's happened, right? The middle has just Dissolved. So the hardest thing in some ways to be right now is moderate because you don't have anybody to hang there with you on a lot of issues. This kind of gets to something that Autumn said to us. Autumn has a psychology. Background and wrote to us about Trump rallies and my real confusion about what Trump supporters must be thinking about his uh, post-election rally in Florida. She says Trump did and is doing a great job of creating an in-group and an out-group. The separation is created. The separation he created throughout his campaign is still continuing to perpetuate, i.e., calling anyone who is not with him fake news or disaster. Um. It, it takes away the ability of individuals who, he's, who he has identified as in the in-group to think rationally. This is a huge area of study in social psychology. Oh, that was a great point.
1: No, definitely. I agree.
0: And that sort of you're with him or against him dynamic is is really starting to play out. And that's what we spent a lot of time talking about on Tuesday, I think. Why are people who weren't really with Trump starting to be defensive of him? Why are his approval ratings among Republicans so high. I think it's because you have sort of the resistance and you got to be with the resistance or against the resistance. And then you've got the Trump people and you got to be with them or against them. And nobody really wants to be in that no man's land in between. It's uncomfortable. So
1: I finally got our book club selection, "Strangers in Their Own Land," and I highly recommend. I just started it, and I'm going to try to finish it up. Um, and I wanted to put in a little plug for them. If this 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 conversation we're having right now is interesting, is interesting to you, then the book our Pantsy Politics book club on uh, Google re Goodreads picked will definitely interest you. And hopefully, we're going to have a discussion on the podcast about the book. And probably the next week or so. So you still have time. Go read Strangers in Their Own Land. It's really
0: good. So we have a lot more interesting feedback, but we've already doubled the length of what we try to aim for on our Friday episodes. This is becoming a pattern, Sarah, with the length of our conversations.
1: Yeah. And um, Nicholas gets mad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) With apologies to Nicholas, we will start to wrap this up. We want to thank Stephanie and Charlotte sincerely for supporting Pantsuit Politics. All of our subscribers, you are so important to us, and we feel so fortunate to have the support of our community, especially Melissa, Tracy, Tracy, Ashley, Audrey, Christine, Nicolette, Paige, Sydney, and Priya. Thank you for being our all-star subscribers. We are working on our audio diligently. We appreciate all of your messages and encouragement around that, and particularly those of you who've reached out with offers to actually go to work yourself, including Staz in Australia. It is amazing to me that someone in Australia is willing to roll up (laughs) his sleeves and pitch in on this show. So thank you so much. We will be back with you on Tuesday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all.
1: Thank you to our producer, Nicholas Holland, and to our chief creative officer, Dante Lima, for all the work they do to make Pantsuit Politics possible. And to all of you for making this community so special. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Pantsuit Politics, or Instagram at Pantsuit Politics. Please leave us your feedback and send us your ideas for show topics and paint suit primers on social media, or you can email us at sarah at com or beth at com.